0: Good morning. Morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, As usual, it would be awkward if I was alone. So I'm really glad that you're all here. uh, I love preaching, but not that much. So, hey, again, if we've not actually got to meet yet, my name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And one of the most exciting things about fall, and especially this fall, and probably exciting for you, I've talked to many of you. For you, fall is the time to take a little bit of a, a break no, I'm just kidding. It's a crazy time, okay? None of you are like, oh yeah, I thought that was already happened. Yeah, it did. Uh, but so many of you have had the, the chance to collect just different stories and conversations about some of you who took road trips this summer. Some of you have already uh, done this in Michigan, but maybe you did a color tour. You went to the UP, or you went on a hunting trip, or or you flew somewhere and navigated all the weirdness of flying. I'm about to do it tomorrow night. I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest. I'm a little confused about how it's all supposed to work, but. What I love is that anytime you take a trip, there's things that you remember. There's certain elements of the trip. Sometimes it's just getting there that you remember. Uh, that's definitely been true for Lindsay and I. So to give you some, some backdrop to this, uh, Lindsay grew up in New Jersey, and so all of her family's on the East Coast, New York and New Jersey. My family grew up in a mix of Mississippi and Canada. So i put those two together. I have no idea how they even connected. Um, it's a miracle my parents met each other. So my parents, for a long time, lived about 24 hours east of here. If you can imagine, just drive 24 hours north and then go east, and that's where they lived in New Brunswick, Canada. And so for the bulk of our marriage, in the very, very beginning, uh, we had to take road trips a lot. We were two young people, and they were older adults in our family who said, we're not driving them. Michigan? No way, you're coming to us. So we have made a habit of some of these road trips. Now again, I said Lindsay's mom and stepdad live in New York. That's typically where we spend Christmas is on the East Coast. And so fast forward, uh, we're married for a couple years. We decide we're going to get really smart. We were living in Detroit at the time. And we said, let's just do this. I've heard the rumor. I grew up in, uh, my parents grew up in, uh, I'm sorry, my dad grew up in Canada. And he said, why don't you guys just go through Canada? Some of you maybe have done this already. You're like, yeah, just cut through Crossport, Huron, or in Detroit and just go into Canada. So I said, that sounds like a great idea. And every time I search it on my phone, I don't know about you, anytime I search that part of of New York, basically what happens is it says go through Canada. It's like an hour and a half quicker. Um, How many of you know sometimes the GPS lies? Okay, it's a liar. Siri, I don't fully trust her yet. We're still working on our relationship. And so I said, you know what, Lindsay, it's time. We had some some church commitments. We had to leave basically Christmas morning and drive from our house in just north of Detroit through Canada and across Buffalo and then down into central New York where her parents live. So I said, let's do Canada. It's, It's time. Like we could save so much time. We drive like the 45 minutes to an hour to get to the border. We cross into Canada. I see Tim Hortons. Everything is great. Okay, I just feel I feel like we're in, we're doing the right thing. So we just blaze through. I don't even know if they have cops in Canada because apparently they didn't find me because I was going for it. I was like, I'm going to shave off as much time as possible. And uh, Canadians are nice and soft anyway. They're not going to pull me over for going the 10 over or whatever. So I go. Got my Canadian passport in my back pocket just in case. Finally, we make it to Buffalo, and we were gonna cross at the Peace Bridge, and, and here's what I see behind me, or in front of me. I see something that looked like that. All I wanted was to get back to what you just read right there. John wanted to be back in the United States of America. I wanted to be back in a, in a country I was familiar with. I'm not good at French, and I hate trying to convert leaders to gallons, okay? That's just me, but I was like, okay, I can last for a couple hours, But eventually, I wanted to get to the other side and knew that on the other side was Buffalo, which meant we could get on the highway south to go to Lindsay's parents and have Christmas like we kind of intended to do. So I shaved off roughly about an hour in Canada. Now, don't do the math. That's really fast driving, okay? And some some luck with some roads. I shave off an hour only to sit in this line for like an hour and a half. Some of you have had this experience, right? You you take a different way and you're like, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to find it. There's construction or there's another state I need to get to. I'm going to cut through somewhere else. So we sat there for about an hour and a half. So most of my Christmas was spent in Buffalo on a bridge on that year. And it was awful. It was just terrible. So sitting there and we finally make it through Again, it's uh, now going back to the US is a much trickier process than getting into Canada. Right now they care, but before they're like, go for it. I don't care what you're doing in here, you go for it. Like, so I go in. Anyway, we tried go through the, the customs thing, we finally get through, and basically the next two and a half hours, Lindsay and I were frustrated talking about, and basically what we ended up saying was, I'm never going to cross that border again. Okay? Like, I'm not doing that. It's miserable. Uh, I don't like it, and it it takes longer. Things are more expensive. All these things. Basically, we finally get there, and uh, her stepdad asks, hey, Ron, that's a loaded question, okay? (laughs) Just shut up. Let's have Christmas, okay? He's like, yes, go through Canada. No, Ron, we're not going through Canada anymore. So that's the last time, literally, that I've crossed that border was that Christmas, because I just couldn't stand across the border. Now, let's be real, there's probably some areas, maybe it's geographical, there's probably some areas just in your life in which there's borders you don't like to cross. I mean, think about it. If you're in HR and you've got friends in sales, just saying, those are two different worlds, okay? You don't often cross those borders, maybe, in your workplace. Some of you, it's as nuclear as your neighbors. You're like, hey, I know I've got some people across the street they just moved in, that street feels really far. <laughs> I can't really walk over there. Like It just feels awkward. It's a natural border. Some of you, that's a backyard. You share backyards. You have no idea what the people are like behind you. Like I don't know. They're quiet, at least, but I don't know their names. I don't know what they care about. I don't know where they're from. There's just practical borders that are just set up in a world. For some of us, it's our language you've been to a foreign country and uh, maybe you want to have a conversation, but it just feels so difficult, you're like, you know what, I'm just not going to try it. Here, let me get my phone, Google Translate, let's figure it out together. Or if you've got neighbors that move in, we live near some people who don't speak a lot of English, and uh, there's just, a, it takes more time to cross those borders, even linguistically. And so it, it just fascinates me. But here's what's true spiritually, and you already know this. If you follow Jesus, someone crossed a border to reach you. Think about it. Someone crossed, maybe it was a geographical border, maybe you literally were saved by someone coming from somewhere else, but chances are someone had to cross a border in a conversation, in a relationship, at a workplace, uh, across the street, maybe across the yard. For all of us, if you're following Jesus, whether you're watching online or you're with us in this room, there's an element uh, that someone ultimately crossed the border to reach you. Here's the next question then. If there are natural borders in our world, which we all would agree they are, and we could get into kind of on a macro scale some of the borders and divisions and problems that we're facing as a culture, but how did Jesus approach borders when he bumped up against them? Because if Jesus was fully God but also fully human, which we believe, That means that he had some way to navigate those cultural and and relational borders that allowed him to transcend those and move beyond, which is why we we respect Jesus today. It's why we follow him and and surrender to him today. But here's the next question beneath that. What if we fail to adopt his approach? Have you ever thought about this? Sure, Jesus has an approach to when he bumps up against borders, and we're going to look at that in the book of Luke today. But what if we fail to adopt his approach? What's at stake? A couple things that come to mind initially are relationships. Relationships, your marriage is at stake if we do not learn how to cross borders. Your influence in the community. Maybe you work in a business that has some community impact. Maybe for you, you work in a nonprofit. And the whole point of, of the reason you work is to help cross borders in people's lives. Wherever you're at, if we fail to adopt Jesus' approach to borders, you're, you and I, both of our relationships, are going to fail. Our impact in our community will crumble. Ultimately, our church will become so insider-focused, no one else would want to be here. Because we're just thinking about how do we live within. And I know as we've stepped out into this building campaign, I know that for many of you, that's not your desire. Part of the reason we're stepping out is so that we can break beyond this physical border and to reach more people. Here's what I know. As you read through the book of Luke, and I want to give you kind of a heads up, we're in Luke seventeen so again if you're watching online you can turn there right now if you have a physical bible or even a device handy i'm going to encourage you to go to luke 17 verse 11 as you're turning there if you skip through quickly the first 17 chapters of luke here's what's really interesting jesus wandered i don't know if jesus ever had a gps or even ever thought intentionally it seemed like where he was going he just seemed to drift in fact What's crazy about the book of Luke that you're turning or opening or searching right now is that Luke is probably the most precise account of the gospels we have. Luke was a doctor. So not only did Luke have resource, now let me just put it this way. If someone's doing surgery and you were like, are you precise or more kind of an abstract artistic person? Right? Like, Probably going to lean towards the precise. If you're working on my heart, I don't want you to say, Yeah, I'm just kind of viewing this like a painting. Like, let's just see what happens. No, you're like, You need to be incredibly accurate and precise if you're messing with things that really matter. Luke is a doctor, Luke gets precision. But here's what's interesting rarely in the book of Luke does he mention specific coordinates or maps or places that would have given Jewish people markers. Instead, he uses vague, kind of regional terms for things because Jesus just kept wandering. He kept drifting from place to place and uh, Jesus frequently crossed borders that really to these disciples made no sense. He went to places you and I wouldn't go. Jesus crossed into locations you and I would think are culturally taboo, are uncomfortable, are scary, and yet we find Jesus there. That's where we find our story in verse 11. Here's what Luke writes. He says, now on the way, on his way to Jerusalem, so we know Jesus is going back to home base Jesus traveled along the, there it is, a border. He travels along this border between Samaria and Galilee. Look what he finds. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. I, I don't know if you're familiar with just the taboo of leprosy. I mean, we've talked about it a couple weeks ago. If you were a leper, you were essentially ostracized, ostracized and marginalized you are not who people wanted to encounter as they walked into a new city. Let's just put it that way. Like, for, for them, it was an incredibly taboo thing. And yet, these, as he's heading into this village, 10 guys who have leprosy, they meet him, and they stand at a distance. They keep distance between Jesus and his disciples and these lepers, but they do this. They call out in a loud voice. Here's what they say, Jesus, master. Lord is a better way to translate that word. Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. These lepers are doing something you didn't do. You didn't cross over some of these borders to go to a rabbi and his group of students and disciples. Leprosy, to put it a different way, essentially meant that not only were you physically ill and chronically your skin was literally rotting, but you were kicked out of your family unit. Because no one wanted to be around someone with leprosy. No friends wanted to come over when you had a kid that had leprosy. No, nobody wanted to come over if your husband is laying in bed, literally slowly dying. And so you're kicked out of your family. You're kicked out of your friend unit. Even uh, to put it in a macro scale. If you had leprosy, you were essentially kicked out of the marketplace. I mean, who's going to want to do business with someone who is ritually unclean, who smells bad, who's gross? And so they would kick them out into these small sectors of society which no one wanted to go. What's interesting is that these lepers call out. And Luke doesn't write that by accident because lepers, anytime someone came close, they were were legally obligated to shout and say, I've got leprosy, like I'm unclean, stay away from me. But look at what they do when they call out here. Look at what they ask. Jesus, would you have pity on us? Maybe they're asking for money. Maybe they're thinking, hey, I've heard the rumors about Jesus. He heals people. Like, I, I heard someone further into Samaria, they, they told me that Jesus healed somebody with leprosy guys, we should try that. I mean, what do we have to lose? Like, there's 10 of us, let's go after him. And so they call out with the same voice that kept people away. I mean, imagine walking around with your physical ailments on your forehead. You should try it. See how many friends you gain at work, right? Here's all the things that are wrong with me. If you're trying to get a girlfriend, just put it right on your forehead and see how that goes. Trying to get a boyfriend, see how that goes. Like, for me, that is an incredibly interesting element of the story. And leprosy was basically saying I am gross, I'm disgusting, I'm unclean and no one wants to cross any borders to be with me. Relationally, physically, even geographically. These lepers are acutely aware of their need. You don't have to convince a leper that they need healing. Right? If you've got cancer, you don't have to sit around and argue back and forth, "Well, do you need healing or not? Should you get surgery or not?" It's like, "Yes, of course, I don't want to have cancer. I don't want to have leprosy. This is what's at play in this story, and they're aware of these borders. They know that there's things that separate them from the healing that they need. Look what he writes in verse 14. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed, healed, put back together, free, whole again. When he saw them, he says, Go, show yourselves to the priests as they're on the way to the priests he heals them. Two things I want to pull out of that verse. Jesus takes this conversation a place no one else would go. Because if you are a smart rabbi and you know that the Jewish law is stay away from unclean people or else you two are unclean, why would you run up to 10 people who are richly, religiously unclean? That, that ruins your reputation as a rabbi. It definitely, if your disciples who are ex-fishermen watching, like, are we supposed to go with this guy? Like, That to you would be incredibly backwards. And yet Jesus initiates this conversation. I love how direct he is. They say, have pity on us. He says, just go show yourself to the priests. And they're like, "Uh, that's not exactly what we're asking for. I don't really know what that means. But they go out of some some level of obedience and end up getting healed on the way. That's another sermon for another day, right? Do what Jesus says and he's going to heal you on the way even before it makes sense. But I think that's what happens for these lepers. So verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, when he saw that he had been made whole again, came back. Notice what the nine don't do. They don't come back. There's no gratitude. There's no sense of wonder or, or thanksgiving around this. It's just one that comes back. He says, Luke writes that he was praising God in a loud voice. In response, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Here's a footnote you and I probably skip over when we read this story, but Luke wants us to catch it. And he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. Why does Luke point that out? Why does it matter to you and I sitting in this room or watching online with our family? Why, like, Why does that matter? Because Luke is trying to point out something that is not just indicative of how Jesus led his disciples, but also how Jesus modeled his own life. Jesus frequently crossed borders. He had conversations and went to locations you and I probably wouldn't have gone. He just had a way of drifting into these situations. The irony in this story is that the only healed leper who comes back is the foreigner. It's the one who is most hated by Jews, the Samaritan, the one they thought Jesus you can heal the others. Why are you even wasting your time to heal this person? This doesn't make any sense. And yet this is the one who comes back and worships at Jesus' feet. There's a word I want to actually capture, and it's easy to miss. I'm just going to get into teacher mode here for a second. We are in a school after all. It's this Greek word, and it's really it's more of an idea called sozo. Sozo is not just physical because that is essentially every single term that we read in these couple verses, when it says cleansed or healing or made well, that word is not just physical. Like sometimes we think about they're healed, we just think physical body. Every time Luke writes this, he has a double meaning to it. And sozo is probably one of the best words. It's a common word that Greek writers used in the New Testament. This word has a physical element to it for sure, but it also has a spiritual element. What Luke is saying is not just Jesus healed you physically, physically, which is important. He says he also is healing you spiritually. What Jesus was after when he brought the kingdom of God was not just physical healing. Not, and we find this when it comes to money or a bunch of other areas, you can deal just in the physical, but when you give or when you pray or when you worship, there's something else that's happening. Sure, if you're standing here and you're worshiping, your hands are up, that's physical, but you and I know that there's a spiritual element to that as well. Same is true for money. There's a physical element to that. But when you give, there's something deeper, much, much, much deeper often that's happening spiritually. For for these guys, there's something much more than just physical healing. But I think only one gets it. I think the one who came back is the one who got that. And he comes and bows and lays at Jesus' feet, sozo. Really, if you're reading this as any good Jew, practicing Jew, giving Jew, you're reading this and you're asking yourself, are you serious? You mean God crossed a border? I mean, doesn't God know, if we put it this way, here's Jesus and here's the leper. Doesn't God know that there's a border here? Like, doesn't he know that you're not supposed to cross these? There's religious, there's cultural expectations and Jesus seems to be going around them or erasing them or going behind them. I don't know what he's doing. Doesn't he know? And the moment that Jesus heals and the leper comes back and they have this interaction really is the moment I think Jesus is trying to communicate, yeah, that's exactly what God's like. I go places no one else is willing to go. I have conversations with people no one else is willing to have. I go to locations no one else is willing to go. And for them, it would have absolutely blown their mind. If you think about it in our world, let's just, let's just use this example Uh, You probably have people in your life who would identify with the lepers in the story. Maybe you identify with the leper in the story. Need healing, acutely aware of the issues in your own life. Uh, Maybe you have people you're praying for. I know just anecdotally, some of you have lists of people you're praying to come to Jesus. Uh, Put those people in this camp. But we know the solution to their need is right here, right? We at least mostly agree on that. Whether you're a skeptic in the room or you're still asking questions, there's a good chance you're here because there's some degree, you know, that it's going to take something divine to heal this person. But there's a border. There's a gap. There's space between. There's a void between. For us, sometimes that looks like economics. I'm just going to write econ. Economics sometimes plays into this. One of the reasons we don't cross borders is because you and I sometimes get tripped into thinking or get trapped into thinking that, well, I can't really cross that border because they don't make as much as I do. I don't even know how to relate to those people. Or I can't cross that border because they make way more than I do. I have no idea how to relate to those people. And so we don't cross the border. Let's get a little bit more real, one that I'm not going to have to convince you is a border. Political. John, I would cross the border, but don't you know who they're voting for? They're idiots. (laughs) Like There's no way I'm doing that. It's not worth the border to cross. John, don't you know what they believe about this certain group of people? I, I, they're clearly not clued in. They're clearly less intelligent. I don't think it's really worth crossing that border. Or haven't you seen what they post on Facebook? None of you do this, but just pretend you have people in your life that do, right? Can't you, can't, do you see what they post on Facebook? I can't believe that's what they believe. And we say things like that. And so we let that border keep us from actually going to those people sometimes. How about the third one, which is, again, pressing in our world? Racial. Well, John, they don't look like me. They don't even speak the same language as me. Like I do. They don't eat the same way. They don't spend their money the same way. Don't you know that there's kind of like divisions already? Like, shouldn't we just let those lie? Like, why would I drive over to that part of town and get my car fixed, there's some racial borders here. True in our community as much as it's true anywhere else. Those in some way are external. Those are real, but they're external. Some of those are beyond our control. Let's take it to the next level. For some of us, there's internal pressures that keep us from crossing the border. Here's one that I've, I've done before, and I'm gonna give you a story just to prove it. Uh, I, have you said things like this? It's too awkward. John, I would, but it's like really awkward. <laughs> how, do I, how do I cross the border? How do I go to that place? Or how do I just don't really fit in? Or if I started talking about Jesus, or I started trying to address this conflict in our relationship, it's just too awkward. I'd rather not cross the border. And you and I have all said that at some degree, in some way. It's too awkward. Uh, another one that I get to hear, and I'm going to give you a story about that, just wait. Um, another one is, how about this? I'm just too busy. I I can't. Have you seen my calendar? It's full. It's totally stocked full. There's no way I have time to cross borders or even think about people who are on the other side of this equation. I'm just too busy. And all of us probably feel this, right? The, The first couple months of COVID felt really awesome, Maybe you had some people physically who were affected, but for the most part, we are just trying to figure out what this is. And so we're at home, we're working from home. And how many night meetings did I have during COVID? Right here. And it was glorious. I love you all, but it was really nice. Like there were some, some weeks where it just felt like, wow, I'm getting to have deeper conversations with Lindsay. I'm getting to watch Tiger King, all the important things that you need to do. Right? Last dance, if you're a sports guy. Like to me, that's just... I've said that before. I'm just too busy. I don't have the space in my calendar. How how do you expect me to do this? And finally, the last one, which I think all of us probably have to wrestle with, and very few of us verbalize this, but we feel it. If you ask me about crossing borders, I don't really care. I don't care. Like, I, I, I say that I care. There's parts of me that care but there's not enough urgency mixed with the important side of that to make me do anything different. I just don't really care. All of these are obviously discipleship gaps. All of these, Jesus wants to help us cross these borders through. But here's what we do that I think is totally understandable, but it rarely works. Here's what we try to do. We're here. We're over with Jesus. We got healed. We're whole. We know how how it works. We know we've got people over here that we want to see come to him, or we want to see healed, or we want to Maybe it's a marriage getting restored. We know there's people on the other side of these borders. Here's what we do. Jesus, oh Jesus, would you help me do this? Oh, landmine, go through here, figure it out, figure it out. And then eventually I'll get to them. Jesus, help me figure out why they vote that way, why they don't make as much money as I do, why they're that skin tone. And then could you free up my calendar, make it less awkward, make me care, and then we'll get there. We do this, right? We use these reasons. Some would call them excuses. Here's what Jesus does. He says, yeah, yeah, I know these exist. I know they're real. But what Jesus is doing in Luke 17 is essentially this. He's saying there's no borders in me anymore. Actually, someone warned me that was going to happen and it actually happened. He basically says here... Where you see a border, here's what I see, just a direct straight line. And that's what Jesus does. He just continually moves to people that we often think we have borders and we can't ever cross them. He just keeps going that way. He just keeps moving. Uh, To me, when I read this story, it's kind of infuriating because I am a logical thinker and I love to figure out... Jesus, why can't we just spend time figuring out how to get around the borders? They can exist, but why can't we just figure out a way? And he says, and Ephesians says this too, in, in chapter two, Paul reminds us, there's no border anymore. There's no wall. If you are a Jesus follower, you essentially are the direct link between him and healing. It's you. It's you and I. Like God has, whatever in his sovereign grace decided, you and I are gonna be the passageway to that. And rather than figure out how do we get around all of these borders in our world, Jesus basically says, there are none. There's no border. If you're following me and your heart's in tune with me, I'm going to help you overcome and basically circumvent all these borders. It's just a straight line. Where you see a division, I see a moment, an opportunity to move beyond it and show the love of Christ in a way that our world just has never seen before. Jesus went places no one else went. and If you're a disciple of him, you do the same thing. We just go, we get into conversations and go to locations that no one else is really willing to go because he's empowered us and because we believe it's our call. G.K. Chesterton said, Chesterton said this, basically, uh, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. <laughs> now, I'm going to be straight up. You probably live in the community live because there's a, there's a level of comfort about it. There may be not a ton of enemies in your neighborhood, but there's a ton of enemies online. You got a lot of enemies at your workplace. Now, maybe you wouldn't call them that, but there are people who you just see their border and you're really not willing to, to cross those or let Jesus move beyond or just kind of race the line. There's some, there's some obstacles there. And what Chesterton is saying, I think, is what Jesus does in the story. He says, yeah, 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 I know these people are close to you, but there's a border. You're not willing to cross it. They're also what you call a cultural religious enemy of the kingdom of God, but I'm going to show you, as you drift with me, as you wander with me, you're going to find that I cross borders all the time. There's a name, when I think about this passage that comes to mind, his name is Eric. Eric was, um, in middle school, someone who I really looked up to. He was a small group leader for me in our student ministry. Eric was one of those guys, who you think back and you're like, that dude was a total stud. Like, he was 6'4", ripped, was in the military, I mean, really good at sports, all the things as a seventh-grade boy you want to be. Like, it was just, he was the pinnacle, and he was my small group leader. I thought it was amazing. What's more amazing is that Eric, who had a full-time job, who had commitments, who had a wife and kids, who had a lot of other things on his plate, decided that it made sense for two hours or whatever a week to invest in 10 seventh-grade boys, which if you've ever been with 10 seventh grade boys, you know what I'm talking about. It's a serious commitment. Uh, I feel bad for him knowing what I was like in 7th grade. Like, I look back, I'm like, poor Eric. Well, one of the things he did, it was kind of like my first semester with him as a small group leader. Uh, Eric decided that it would be smart or wise or some in his connection with God thought this was a smart thing to have us all over for a sleepover. So it's Eric Fox. And then a bunch of 7th grade boys hanging out at his house. And so I think his family left for the weekend, probably knowing the carnage that was about to take place. I don't even remember them there in the story. So we get there. We go canoeing. He's got this small lake in the back. We're just doing a bunch of guy things. We're shooting bows and arrows. We go inside. We watch Band of Brothers on TV. Like it was all these just really cool things for 7th graders just blowing my mind. He had nachos. I had more Mountain Dew in that 24-hour span than I probably ever have. In my life. We go there. I wake up in the middle of the night and uh, have to go to the bathroom. So I get up. We're all kind of in this living room. I get up. I cross through the hallway and I see a light on. It's like 2 30 in the morning or something. I I see a light on in the kitchen and Eric's sitting at his desk. And at first I thought he was praying, but then I see his hand moving. He's actually writing something. He's writing, writing stuff down and didn't really think much of it. I go back to bed get up the next morning my mom comes to pick me up and um, as we walk out all of these seventh grade boys he hands us an envelope hands it to us says hey hey john thanks for coming this was awesome we'll see you see you sunday night or whatever it was me being a seventh grade boy didn't really think much of it i put it in my backpack and like a day later i'm like taking stuff out and I, i find this letter again and i open it up and eric probably all through the night had written all of us multiple pages of encouragement saying things like, John, you're smart. John, you're going to make a difference in this world. John, the kingdom of God needs you. John, you're going to be a worship leader someday. John, you are amazing. You inspire me. I believe in you. You have potential. Three or four pages of this Eric crossed the border for me. And I'm being straight up honest. I doubt that I would be on the same trajectory of life and following Jesus and in ministry if it wasn't for someone who looked at a really annoying, obnoxious seventh grade boy and said, I'm going to cross the border for him. I don't have anything in common with a seventh grade boy other than our gender. That's about it. And I've got commitments, I've got a full time job, I've got stuff I've got to do. But for a couple hours a week, I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to invest. I'm going to have some, some boys over and invest in them, and I'm going to encourage them. And a few years after that, Eric passed away from ALS. His legacy is not about what he did for a job. I don't even remember. His legacy was not even the, the multiple accomplishments he, he had through the military. It was the fact that he crossed the border for a seventh grade boy. I'm standing here today as a result of that. What border do you need to cross? Who's the person? What's the conversation? Where's the place? That you need to say, I know there's some borders here. Let's just be honest. They're big. But I serve a God who does not just say, here's how you navigate them and figure it out. But I serve a God who says, there are no borders. There's no wall too big. There's no mountain too high. There's no valley too deep. I'm not going to be willing to cross it. The very last thing in this story that, that Luke writes is actually in the second heading down. Jesus is being asked by some Pharisees right on the heels of this leper story about when's the kingdom of God going to come? When are you going to restore things? When are you going to make things right? And this is what Jesus says. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed or seen, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God are missed. What Jesus is saying is, I'm bringing it. I am what you need. I am the one who crosses the border. I am the one who crosses the divide. You don't have to do it on your own because with you and just your own power, all you're gonna see are borders and you're gonna keep running into them. You're gonna keep being frustrated. You're gonna keep judging people, them in your heart. You're gonna struggle with things that are not gonna allow you to cross the other side. But friends, there are people on the other side of this who need you and I to say, all right, God, there are borders. I see them, I feel them help me in your power to let me cross over to the other side. Help me move beyond the physical borders I see. The promise here is that the Holy Spirit will be with you. God will be with you when you decide I'm going to cross the border. But here's what's also true. He is not going to be with you when you just camp out in your own comfort zone. When you just stay where it's safe and warm and all the people around you love the borders that they have and love the borders you you and them have set up but if Jesus will take you farther, you will see the Holy Spirit's power with you. That's the promise. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you because there's a really good chance you came in here today pretty aware of a border that you need to cross. That could be a relationship. Could be with the person sitting right next to you. Could be someone at work. Could be a neighbor that you need to cross. For, for me, I think about that and just know, wow, there's some borders I need to cross. I was reminded yesterday I rented an aerator, which is just a weird idea in general. Like the little turges pop up all over your yard. It's just a weird thing. It's weird. My neighbors are probably judging me for doing it. Um, I rent this aerator, and uh, again, I'm pretty wise and thoughtful. And so it's 278 pounds. We load it up at Home Depot. I go home, and it's just me. I mean, you probably look at me and think he probably could lift it, but I couldn't to your <laughs> to deceive you a little bit I couldn't actually it's shocking Planet Fitness has been closed for a couple months so couldn't do it and so I'm scratching my head I'm like okay I just moved here less than a year ago and kind of assessing the physical strength of all my neighbors like how do I get this out of here like this I only have this for a couple hours so again I, I cross the border that was for me really I was in the it's too awkward camp Lindsay's like you should go over there and um, pick someone strong in our neighborhood. I was like, okay. So I'm like, who, who could do this? And I know my neighbor Pedro uh, does a lot of yard work. And I thought, I bet he could do it. Like he's a pretty strong guy. So like, I'm just going to go ask Pedro if he can help me. I didn't had to, maybe one or two conversations with him only when we get each other's mail. Like we give it back over, that's about it. He Doesn't speak a lot of English. So I was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to even figure out how to communicate what I need from this guy. I get over there and his wife answers the door and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, Pedro's sick. He's like in bed and can't come out. And I was like, oh my gosh, time is ticking right on this aerator. So she says, she's from Venezuela. She's like, I will help you. I was like, okay. (laughs) Again, (laughs) assessing physical strength here. I was like, you look tough, but I don't know if that's gonna work out very well. So anyway, I said, "I, I gotta get it done. So why don't you just, we'll just try it. So I get over and I'm like, are you sure? And I don't think that registered. The English did not translate clearly. She grabs the thing and we put it down and she falls over in my yard, falls back on her back and kind of laughs it off. And I'm like, I just broke this woman's back here in this aerator. She's going to hate me. I'm a terrible neighbor. So eventually it was like super awkward for a minute. She walked back over and uh, I haven't talked to her since. So we'll see what it's like today. I don't know finally got the aerator out and did what I need to do. But what's interesting to me is how long it took me to go over there. Let's be honest. There was 10, 15 minutes in my head. I just said, I don't want to ask her for help. That's too big of a border. I don't even know if she speaks English. Honestly, it's just too awkward. I was thinking, could someone else maybe help me? Could I, I wish I had a brother who lived nearby? Like all these things. What border do you need to cross? That's one for me. Just my neighbors. There's people right around me that I met in this whole aerator scenario uh, that I hadn't met before. It's just because I had to ask for help. I'm praying that those conversations are gateways to cross these borders. I don't know where they're at with God, but what border do you need to cross? Could be a relationship, could be at work, could be in your prayer life, could be financially. So let me pray for you, uh, and then we're going to worship together. God, I thank you just I thank you for your kindness. I thank you that you saw me as a seventh grader and knew that there were some borders that had to be crossed in order for me to experience your love and grace personally. I thank you for the people sitting here, whether they're watching on the other side of this screen or they're sitting in this room or they're watching this even later. I pray that you would make them aware wherever they're at in a relationship with you, that there's no border too big, no division too difficult to overcome, that your love is not willing to cross and that that you're calling us as disciples in this moment in our culture to be those kind of people. God, I pray for the person who right now knows the conversation that they need to have. Maybe it's with a neighbor, maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's with a best friend or a classmate Maybe there's been a wrong, and there needs to be an offer of forgiveness. Maybe there's just a conversation about, here's my story. Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? And I invite you into that same process. Maybe there's a place, a part of town, a neighborhood, a job. I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would, just like you, go places no one else is willing to go so that zero lives would be unchanged by you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we don't have to do it alone. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that is speaking even now to remind us when we cross the borders, you are with us. You're with us. We hold on to that truth in Jesus' name.